0: If you would, turn with me in your Bibles and stand to Psalm 139, the 139th Psalm. We'll be reading together specifically verses 23 and 24. However, as we dig into the text, we will go through the entire Psalm this morning. But we will spend most of our time in 23 and 24. And as you turn, just want to say welcome to our, all of our guests. If we have any guests in the house today, it is a privilege to have you We thank God for you. We pray that the word of God will just penetrate and impact your heart in a marvelous and mighty and special way this morning. Also, this is just a, a small break to have us consider This past year, going into the new year, we will pick up our study in in Joshua in the new year, uh, either the first or second Sunday, but we will be back in Joshua uh, as the Lord is fueling us by faith. Amen? Amen. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Let us pray. Father, indeed, you are excellent. There is no name above your name. For truly, we all will submit and bow and bend the knee to the name that is above every name, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Holy Father, as we come before you this morning, we do so in the name of Jesus. There's no other way that we can stand before your mighty throne of grace. There's no other way that we can enter into your throne room. There's no other way that we can consider this relationship with you and worship you this morning, but in the name of Jesus. Heavenly Father, as we come to you in the name of Jesus, empowered by your spirit, Father, we beg that you would just show yourself to us this day. May you make yourself known. May you be high and lifted up that we may glorify and exalt the Son. For it is through Christ Jesus that we are saved. That we have any hope. And Father, as we dig into your word this morning, Father, I ask that you would please dispel any ignorance and indifference that you will bring forth illumination, that that which was dark, we will now be able to see because of what your word declares to us. We will take your word to heart. May your word be a a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May we hide your word in our hearts that we may not sin against you, O God. Father, prepare us to finish 2015, well, yet yeah, looking forward to what you are doing and what you will do through your people. So, Father, we bid and beg you to have your way in this place today. Jesus, precious and holy, magnificent and mighty name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, I have a question for you, or should I say a riddle? What are the two most frightening but yet beneficial household items in your home? Think about that for a minute. What are two of the most frightening yet beneficial items you have in your home? You got it? Dare I say, two of the most frightening yet beneficial things in your home would be the mirror and the scale. The mirror and the scale, the the mirror and the scale, they can be very frightening because of what they do for us. They show us who we really are. They expose us. And we don't like being exposed. But yet the mirror and the scale are beneficial because at that moment, right then and there, it lets you know where you are. You have a road mark at the moment, and you know what you need to do next. Now, if you do it or not, you may not, but once you look in that mirror, once you get off that scale, you know what you look like, and you know what you weigh, that's just set of course for what you need to do that day. And the end of the year can be something like that as well. The end of the year can be both frightening but yet beneficial. Frightening in that we don't we don't know what to expect. We don't know what's really coming. Frightening because we may have wasted or squandered a, a wondrous opportunity this past year. But yet the end of the year is beneficial because it provides a, a, a moment where we can stop and reflect to see just where we are. In a moment beneficial so as we approach the end of the year let us pause to think about exactly where we are I mean it, it, it wouldn't make sense to to think about where we are before we start making these new year's resolutions right before we start setting goals in, two, in 2016 how would I know what goal to even set if I don't know where I am right now See a lot of times we want to go forward without recognizing where we are right now. Like if you're in an airplane or on a ship that's out at sea. There's no landmarks. You can't say go down to the Taco Bell, make a left and then go straight back down the street and my house is the one with the nice grass. You you can't say that when you're on an airplane or when you're out at sea. But the way that the pilot navigates in an airplane or at sea, is that he has what is called waypoints through the GPS. You don't just travel in a plane directly to the place where you want to go. There's certain wind patterns. There's certain air traffic that you need to be mindful for. So the tower always gives the pilot some waypoints, some, some, some destinations where they need to hit first in order to get to their destination. When you're out in the open sea and the stars are just shining you and there's no land around, you have no clue where you are, but if you have that GPS engaged and your waypoint set, you know that if I hit this waypoint, this waypoint, and this waypoint, I will get to my destination. This is how the end of the year should, should be for us. We should come to a, the end of the year and see, where am I in my life? How have I progressed along the way? Have I been moving forward this year? Or have I been moving backwards in life? Have I been progressing or have I been regressing? You know, that same principle applies to our spiritual lives. The end of the year provides a tremendous opportunity to to see where you are spiritually. How do you know where you are spiritually? How do you know where you are with God today? How would you know just how far along in in this journey you've made? Though there may not be a household item like a mirror or a scale to help you understand where you are spiritually, but God has given us another tool that we can use to see where we are today in order to get to where he wants us tomorrow and that tool is introspection or oh, for the purposes of today we'll just say biblical reflection reflection reflecting over our lives a a conscious and careful examination of our own lives see we're really 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 good at Examining somebody else's life. We're really good at that, at pointing the finger. But you know, I was always told that when you point one finger, you got three pointed back at yourself. So today, we're we, we not thinking about how your wife or how your husband how your children act, acting, how your boss behaving. We want to reflect upon our own lives today. Because we need a waypoint to see where we are and and determine from where we are, how do we get to where God wants us to be? That's what this is all about. Reflection can be just as as frightening, but it's more beneficial. See, through, through biblical reflection, we're able to see exactly where we are. But the problem is that we don't like to see where we are because Biblical reflection exposes us. By nature, we don't like to be exposed. Genesis 3, in the garden, Adam and Eve, they rebel against God. They sin. And what is the first thing that they do? They go grab some fig leaves because they realize that they were naked. They did not want to be exposed before God. So by nature, we we don't like to be exposed. We like to cover up our lives. We we really don't want to let people in and see what, what's really going on. I've had to be honest with myself. People ask, how are you doing? I, sometimes I have to I have to pause for a second and say, I wonder if they really want to know. We have to pause. But you know what, beloved? Being exposed before God is the best place to be. for, for true freedom is being able to walk naked before our God. You ever been in a house all by yourself? No, no kids and nobody else around. There's a tremendous amount of freedom with, with, with being able just to walk around like a newborn baby. That's where God wants us to be before Him, where we have tremendous freedom in His presence. There's no hindrance, there's no stuffiness, there's no, no problems, no issues, where, where we can just stand before God and say, Lord, here I am. There's actually great comfort and being exposed before God. Beloved, genuine reflection is good for the soul because a life exposed by genuine reflection is a life of genuine communion with God. Genuine communion. That's Genesis 2. God creates the man and the woman, and and at the end of chapter 2 it says, and the man and the woman were naked and not ashamed. What does that mean? That means that there was nothing in their lives that, that caused them guilt, that caused them issues, to, to look at each other, cross or crooked, that they actually stood before God clean. That's where he wants us to be. He wants us to, to pursue reversing that curse, and it comes through reflection, biblical reflection, I believe that's what is going on in the text before us this morning. The psalmist, he's taking spiritual inventory of his life because he wants to be in intimate communion with God. He wants to know exactly where he is. But not only does he want to know where he is, he wants to know where he needs to be and how to get there. He does this through reflection. See, Where you're going depends on where you are right now. And before we enter 2016, I believe we, Forest Baptist Church, we, we would do well by reflecting on our lives this morning to understand where we are, where we need to be, and how we're going to get there. So in this passage of scripture, I I believe I see four comforts that actually come from biblical reflection. Reflection takes comfort in God's omniscience. Reflection takes comfort in God's omnipresence. Reflection takes comfort in God's omnipotence. And and reflection takes comfort in God's oversight. Let's look at the text, verses 1 through 6. Let's back up. This text is noted with the notation to the choir master, a psalm of David. Here we have David writing, thinking about the Lord, thinking about his posture, his position before God. And he starts off and he says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Looking at the text, David is writing, and what he wants us to know is that God's uh, uh, his omniscience, It's comforting. There's comfort in knowing you can be honest with God because he already knows everything about you. We can take tremendous comfort in knowing that God knows everything about us already so I don't have to front, I don't have to fool. He knows me. He knows what I look like first thing in the morning. He knows what I look like late at night. He he not only knows what I look like, but he knows what I'm about to say. Not what I said, what I'm about to say, what I'm thinking about saying, how I'm thinking about going off. He already knows. He says in the text, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you, you search out my path and my lying down are our acquaintance with all my ways, he knows everything that is going on in your life. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. There is... Nothing outside his gaze, his, his perception. How comforting is that? To know that no matter what's going on, where you are, God knows your name. The psalmist puts it like this. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. What is, what is he talking about? Because God is omniscient, he he knows everything that's going on, so he's able to protect them. As a matter of fact, what what he's saying is, God, you can't be caught off guard. Because before I I move, you're already there. And where I take my step from, you're already there. You're in front of me and you're behind me. You're, you're on every side. I, I, there's, I can't move without you knowing what's going on. You, you hand me in. I'm in mean your hand. That, that's a, you know where, he you knows where you are. Spiritually speaking, you will never be on a milk carton because God knows where you are. You're never lost. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is how I cannot attain, I, I can't understand this, this God who, who knows everything about me. He knows what I'm about to say, what I said, but yet he doesn't leave. Oh, Lord. He knows how foolish, how sinful, how, how, how wicked. He knows how trifling. He knows how foul, how wicked. How... See, I, I'm not even talking about the stuff that you let people see, the stuff that just goes through your mind. He knows this, and yet he, haven't, he hasn't left you yet. What comfort is that? God knows everything about you, but he's still willing to stick around and stay. My Lord. What is the implications of that? Because I know that God knows everything, I can have complete confidence in him. I can trust what he's doing. I can trust what he's already done. I can give up my life to him right now. Because he knows what's going on. So reflection takes comfort in God's omniscience. But not only that, reflection takes comfort in God's omnipresence. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the utmost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. For night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. There is comfort in knowing You can stop hiding from God because he's present everywhere at the same time. It's actually comforting to know I I can't hide from him anyway. He he knows where I'm going. He knows where I've been. He's already there when I get there. The psalmist talks about a a, a vertical plane. He, He talks about if I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I go into the depths of the earth and and, and hail and shield, you're there. So he has the the vertical cover, but then he covers the horizontal. He says, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, what he's saying is, as the sun rises in the east, when that crocodile goes over the expanse of the earth, as it moves at the speed of light, he's saying, even if I moved at the speed of light, Even if I was as fast as the dawn in the morning, you are there. And to the utmost of the sea, he's talking about, he's going to the west now. So both vertically and horizontally, God is there. He's with you. He's not without you. He's all around. He is present. To the fact that, in verse 11, even when you are in your lowest moment of despair, the darkest day, the darkest hour of your life, he says, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. When, when I am at my lowest, God, when I am broken, when I, when I have no hope, when I have no joy, when I see no light, when, when I think things will never get better, Things will never change. He says, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light to you. He's saying, I am there. No matter where you are in your life, in your walk, God is telling you this morning that he is there. You may not see him, but he sees you. You may not be aware that he's right there with you, but... He is there. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. For you are with me. Your ride and your side, they comfort out. He is there. Tremendous implications, knowing that if, if God is always with me, I am never alone. I'm never alone. I don't have to have anxiety or. Issues because I think God has left me. No. When you are his child, he is always with you. He's omnipresent. Reflection takes comfort in God's omnipresence, but then also reflection takes comfort in God's omnipotence. Verse 13. He says, for you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. There is comfort in knowing you can trust God because He is the all-powerful creator of all things. God is omnipotent. But what is he talking about? He's talking about God is, is, is so powerful, and he, he is the one that, that was crafting you in your mother's womb. He was the one stitching this individual piece of artwork together. He was creating toenails and fingernails and giving you a personality and and honing you and crafting you all in the womb of your mother. And because it, it was God who was doing the crafting, the psalmist is able to say, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made as a kid, that saying saying they used to say, God don't make no junk. Because God is the one who created us, formed us, and fashioned us, we ain't no junk. We, We have a special place in his heart. My friend was not hidden from you. He is so powerful. Before he was even finished knitting you, he had already written in his book how many days that you would have. Think about that. Before you were even a thought, God had your life written down. Before you even showed up, God had, the ink was dry on the page. He knew what he was going to do with you already. That's tremendous comfort knowing that God is my all-powerful creator. The psalmist is looking at And God's attention to detail of my life reminds me that he cares about my life. If God is willing to go to this extent, to to craft, shape, and form your life, don't you think he cares about you right now? So many of us go through situations in circumstances, and we think that God has left us, or God doesn't care about me, God doesn't love me, and God is saying, no, because I'm the one who fashioned and formed you, those details should show you that I care about you, that you are not forsaken, that you are not lost. Reflect upon these things. It's this attention to detail, reflection takes comfort in God's Omnipotence. Now, verse 19, this is where we spend most of our time this morning, the time we have left. Reflection takes comfort in God's oversight. Verse 19 Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God! O men of blood, depart from me, they speak against you with malicious intent, your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There's comfort in knowing you can surrender everything to God because he has made a way for you. The text, the the first portion of the text is talking about the wicked, those who are uh, in opposition to God, those who are uh, taking the name of God in vain. They they do not honor God. They, They do not lift them up as holy or esteem him. And the psalmist says, do I not hate those who hate you? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? And we may say in our hearts, man, I don't think we're supposed to hate anyone. But what the psalmist is doing, he's he's contrasting my my desire is so much for you, God, that I don't want to be in the midst of anyone who does not love you. I don't want to be near anyone who doesn't have a care, a concern, or glorify your name. I I hate those who hate you. I don't don't want them. I don't want to be around them. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not coming close to the line to see how close I can get to them. I'm taking a step back, saying, Lord, you deal with them. I don't, I don't want to be in that crowd. I don't want to be in that number. Lord, I love you so much that I, I, my devotion is only for you. And it is out, out of that desire to commune, to not be wicked, to not be sinful. That's where he goes in 23. That's why he says, search me, oh God, and know my heart and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, it would be foolish to need surgery, but to tell the doctor that you can't take off my clothes to do surgery. What's it, I mean, what sense would that make? I mean, I, I know the gowns that they give you aren't the most appealing. They aren't that fashionable. But if I require surgery, it would be foolish of me to tell the doctor that I'm not taking off my clothes. What am I saying? It would be foolish for me to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, you're excellent. I want you to do marvelous and wonderful things in my life. But Lord, I'm not willing I am ready for you to expose my sin. Lord, I'm comfortable where I am. I'm just going to hold on to that. I'm not going to get rid of it. I'm not going to take it off. But Lord, I I still want you to use me. But I I know I need surgery, but I'm not taking my clothes off. God is saying, if you want me to do surgery on your heart, to cut away that dead flesh, that dead man who wants to rise up against you, if you you want me to do something with your life, you got to take off your clothes. He wants us to stand exposed before him, not making excuses, not, not coming up with why we couldn't obey, not talking about our situation in circle He wants us to show up and say, search me, oh God. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my, and know my ways. And, and, and see if there be any grievous way and I me. Mean, Lord, do surgery on me. I don't want to be like the wicked. Cut it away. Anything that you find that is not of you, cut it away. Look at, look at the text. He says, search me, oh God. This is an uh, external examination. This is uh, put your hands up against the wall and spread. A divine pat-down is what he's desiring. This is an invitation to get in my business, God. I want you to go in my pockets and turn them over. I want you to take off my shoes and empty them out. I want you to check my, my waistband to make sure no contraband is in them. God, I want you to pat me down so I won't have anything on me that would not be appealing to you. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. What is he talking about? He not only does he want you want that external examination. He wants God to examine his motivations. Did you know it's possible to do a bunch of good stuff for the wrong reasons? Don't you know that it's possible to show up at church every Sunday because it's the right thing to do, but in your heart, you're hard against God. You don't want God to tell you anything. Don't want people in your business. Don't want to be accountable. You want to live life your own. Did you know that it's possible on the outside to look like you got it all together when you really don't, when the inside is breaking apart, falling down, it's in shambles. It's like, it's like a, a one of those houses that they clean up the, the outside to make you want to purchase it, but as soon as you step through the door, you see what a wreck it is. He's saying, I don't want to be like that. Why do I do what I do? Show me, God. But then, in this Hebrew parallelism, he, he, he takes it and he says, try me and know my thoughts. This too means to examine, but this is a little different because this, this is the examination that would be performed by a, uh, mineral, a, a jeweler or, or someone who deals with minerals. And the way that you can tell the purity of a mineral or, or some type of gem is that you put it under a little heat. So the psalmist is so trusting in omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent God. He says, Lord, I love you so much I'm willing to sit up under a little heat for a while. Try me. Turn up the heat a little bit on my life. Why? Because when the heat cuts on in my life a little bit, what? And know my thoughts. Or your text may say anxious thoughts. What is he saying? Lord, when he comes in my life, you know how I really feel. When things ain't going my way, you know what I really say. When I've had a bad day, you know what's really going on in my mind. See, see it's quite different to wake up in the morning and uh, uh, you've had uh, your six or seven, to eight hours of sleep and you feel real good and, and you get up and you got brand new Christmas clothes and you're able to go out. It's a, a shining, beautiful day and you're walking down the street. Matter of fact, you get, a, you get in your car and you drive, you get to the location where you're going and you have a great time. People that you was looking for were there. People that you weren't looking for weren't there, and you had a beautiful, wonderful time. And it's easy to think good thoughts when you're having a beautiful, wonderful time. But what the psalmist is saying, he's saying, when, I, when I've only had two hours of sleep, an alarm clock don't went off, I done snoozed snooze five times. All my good clothes is dirty, so I got to wear the old stuff. My iron broke, so I left the house wrinkled. The, the lights was messed up in the mirror, so I, so I missed that piece of soap that was hanging on my ear. Uh, I went outside. I tried to start the car, and the battery was dead. Uh, I had to call a cab, and they made me 20 minutes late for the job. And I had an important meeting to go to, but I, I missed the meeting, and my boss is upset. And I'm supposed to come home and go to this dinner, and I don't know nobody there. They don't like me. I don't like them. He's saying, God, turn up the heat on my life so I see where I really feel about you. We don't like that. We like the nice, calm, cool, collective days. But what the psalmist is getting at is God needs to turn it up, turn that heat up a little bit so you really know who you are. He needs to bring some difficulties into your life so, so, so you will really know that your faith is real your allegiance and your devotion. And then he goes on, and, and why, why am I doing this? Because I want to see if there's any grievous ways in me. Now, when, when we look at this word, we automatically think sin, but the text, is actually the word is actually the hurtful way, the way of pain. So what he's saying is, God, I want you to do these things in my life in order that I will not walk down a path that is hurtful to my life. I don't want to go down that road. I want to go down this road. It's like if you're getting ready to go back to your cubicle. There's two ways to get there. There's a short way and a long way. But the short way, that's where a bunch of bullies are. And if you go that way, the bullies are going to talk about you. They're going to beat you up. They're going to take your money and do bad things to you. But then there's the long way that you can go, and get to your destination on time, and fine. He's saying, like, Lord, show me how I am walking in the hurtful way, in order for me to go the opposite way. Are we really willing to say that, or are we looking for all the shortcuts? We want shortcuts. We want. Give me it fast. We don't want to be diligent. We don't want to be faithful. We don't want to be obedient. We want the shortcuts. But God is saying, no, not the shortcuts. Be faithful, and you will be blessed. But then finally, he says, and lead me in the way everlasting. This, 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 this way that is beautiful, this way that is good, I, uh, my thoughts went to Psalm 1611, which says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand. There are pleasures evermore. more. There is a way that God will lead you in that will be blessed. He doesn't want to go the hurtful way. He wants to go the blessed way. This text also reminds me of Matthew, the seventh chapter, where Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So I began thinking about this way. What, what way is he talking about? And I believe ultimately the scripture points us to John fourteen six, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me, but well, what is the psalmist saying? I believe the psalmist is saying, I don't want to go with a hurtful way, but God, I want you to lead me to Jesus. I want you to lead me in a way that brings righteousness, that brings holiness. I want you to bring, lead me in a way that brings grace. Because I'm unable to, to trust you as I should. And, and when God exposes our sin, what we really understand is we are not that sweet and we actually need grace. Because God demands sinless perfection. God demands that we are perfect in order to have a relationship with him. But the the word of God tells me, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If God demands perfection, but I am a sinner, then how can I come to him? Well, the text tells us there is an everlasting way, and his name is Jesus. And, And when we trust in Jesus through repentance and faith, that his sinless perfection and righteousness is given unto us, that we now can come to God. What is God doing in your heart right now? What sin does he want you to see? What is he pointing out to you? How how would you answer the question, but well, where are you with God? How is your spiritual life? Apart from God examining our lives, we would have no clue. But praise be to God that we need only ask, and he will provide. When I look at this text, I see repentance and faith. I see that The psalmist is acknowledging that there is a sinful way. He's acknowledging that that way is of the wicked. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is, God, I agree with you about how you feel about my sin, not how I feel about my sin. See, I I can doctor up sin to make it nice, to make me like it, but, but when I feel how God feels about my sin, Then I begin to hate it. I hate when I do those things. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. So in repentance, there's a hate for the sin and a desire to forsake it. Well, how do you forsake it? You acknowledge that you can't do it on your own, that someone has to shine the righteous light on you and expose the sin and take it away. What is that? Faith. I believe that Jesus Christ came, lived his sinless life, died on the cross in order that I may be saved because I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Repentance and faith. Reflection is good for the soul. A life exposed by genuine reflection leads to genuine communion with God. Where are you with God today? As we prepare to enter 2016, Where are you with God right now? Stop talking about where you're going to be. Where are you right now? Are you willing to invite God to examine your life? Have you ever invited God to examine your life? I believe many of our lives are are, are, are really jacked up because instead of doing reflecting, we do a lot of deflecting. We don't take responsibility for the sin that we're in. We don't take responsibility knowing that we we have been rebellious against a, a perfect, loving, and holy God. We don't acknowledge that all we have to do is repent and turn. God is calling you today. Where are you spiritually? And how did you determine that? That's the question. How did you determine that you was okay? Because I, I ask a lot of people, well, where are you spiritually? At? I'm good. How, how did you determine that? Are you looking at Sister Betty and them down the road? Are, are you looking at your friends? Are you looking at TV? Because, of, of course, you may look good. But are, are you looking at God's perf- perfect holiness and saying you're still good? Because When I look at God, I, I know I'm broke. I'm weak, and I fail. And apart from the blood of Jesus, I would have no hope. Apart from the grace that comes through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, I would be uh, hopeless, having no relationship. So how do you know you're good if you never invited God to examine your life? Let God expose you. Because that's where he wants you to be where there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, able to stand before his throne without guilt, without shame, because you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Let us pray. Oh, Holy Father, I pray that your holy gaze will fall upon us today, that you would not let us leave this place without repenting of our sin, that we would not leave this place without inviting you to search our hearts and to try us, to show us who we really are, to show us the glory of the gospel. Just how marvelous, how beautiful, how spectacular the good news about what you have done through Jesus Christ for the salvation of sinners. Because the good news is not good news, Lord, until we see the bad news, and that's we are sinners. So, Father, help us to see our sin, but help us to see the grace that comes from you. Father, may you impart your grace upon us to heal us, to drive us to you, to make us love you, to obey you, that we may be completely satisfied in you. Make known to us today that path of life. Jesus' precious and holy name, we do pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. The text tells us the way.